It is November 21st, 2022, and welcome to episode 153 of Vault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debates shaking up America. Today, we're looking at a story of the ongoing protests that have been racking Iran for months. The death of Masa Amini, a Kurdish Iranian, two months ago after security forces attacked her for not wearing her head covering in the prescribed manner, has set off protests across the country with young and old, male and female, all taking part. In fact, just today, we have the Iranian uh, national soccer team not uh, singing their national anthem during the, the first World Cup game. Um, the protests have struck at the heart of the regime, and reports from last week indicate that protesters burned down the old home of Iran's first revolutionary Islamic leader. The government is responding with increasingly harsh crackdowns, and there are new reports of the use of heavy weaponry by the government against protesters in Iranian Kurdish cities. The Iranian regime is also threatening Kurdish areas of Iraq, and it appears the Tehran regime is attempting to scapegoat Kurds while protests rage in Iraq. Um, so as we track this story, we know Iran is the biggest state supporter of terrorism in the world, working to undermine governments and human rights um, across the world. And it's also pursuing a nuclear weapons program and providing aid to Russian forces occupying Ukraine. Um, so as we look at this, you know, the first question is, does this targeting of Kurdish populations change how we see the scope of the protests and what the U.S. should be doing? Uh, Jones, great question. First, let me say that in my day job, uh, I lobby for the Kurds of Iraq, but the views I'm expressing today are my own. I think we're seeing a sea change in the situation in Iran. These protests have gone on and on. They've grown deeper. They've grown broader. Uh, they're not going away despite harsher and harsher crackdowns from the government. And I think this move by the government to start to target Kurdish groups in Iran and, frankly, in Iraq as well and in other areas and try to turn this into a regional issue, undermining security in Iraq, in Syria, in Turkey, is evidence that the, the Iranian regime is more concerned about these protests than they've ever been. The fact that we're seeing this at the World Cup, which is the biggest stage in the world, uh, is is an amazing thing. So I think what we may be underestimating how much of a threat these protests are to the Iranian regime. It seems to me this is this is a moment in time when the U.S. should really start to press uh, its allies, particularly in Europe, to take more of an active role in supporting the protests. Well, look, I mean, Les, you know, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, just just two weeks ago, I actually said that I think we should be for regime change in Iran um, and that we should be actively supporting the protesters um, and pouring more than just uh, you know, sort of theoretical resources and nice words into the fight and actually pouring money uh, both overtly and covertly um, into the conflict um, uh, and into the protests and into those opposition parties that are opposed to the Iranian government. You know, Les, you pointed out to me um, when we were uh, chatting, when we were texting back and forth last week, uh, I had missed the story that the, that the uh, house of the former uh, Supreme Leader of Iran, Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini, the architect of the 1979 revolution, uh, was burned by protesters. So when you add that on top of uh, what we're seeing happen at the World Cup um, and what you're seeing happen over the last months of protests, really, this is a unique moment. And the Iranian regime, I think, understands the potential of this tipping over, which is part of why they haven't cracked down um, in the ways that we've, see we've seen in the past. And so now the question becomes, Okay, we've said a lot of, you know, the, the Biden administration said all the right things. We support the protesters. They got much further out ahead of this than the Obama administration did in the Green Revolution. But words just aren't enough. And so, I mean, Les, are you talking about regime change? What are you talking about? I think we should be talking about a policy of regime change. I'm not sure how public that should be. What the administration really ought to be doing in public is pushing our European allies, which have been intimately involved in the Iran nuclear deal negotiations for the past seven years, 
to be much more active in their support for the protests. Because what Iran does, it's 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 isolated every it's isolated itself from almost everyone in the region, in the Middle East region. They still have folks in Europe who are willing to talk to them. We need to close off that option to them. Iran is a bad actor on a number of fronts. It's sending military assistance to Russia to help its failing invasion of Ukraine. Europeans ought to be more outraged than they are. And the fact that this uh, that this protest is happening at the World Cup, which is a very European thing. Let's face it, Americans don't know much about soccer. Europeans are all about the soccer. The fact that they're seeing this demonstration at their main event, the World Cup, which only happens once every four years, ought to, ought to galvanize them, and we should be pushing them much harder. This Biden administration policy of kind of a little bit Obama-esque of leading from behind, let's lead from the front, let's push our European allies to be much more active. Um, I totally agree, Les. And I mean, I think we are starting to see changes. We see the French president starting to bifurcate you know, nuclear negotiations with human rights issues and actually come out and say something. Right. So it seems as if our European allies might be taking a harder stand. But I actually think the idea that maybe the World Cup, that messaging is getting to an audience in Europe the way that politicians speaking clearly just doesn't work is actually a really interesting thought. And so, like, I mean, Iranians, men's team, that's amazing, right? Yeah, but here's what I don't understand. We, we should push the the Europeans on the nuclear deal and, 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 like Macron has, separate the two out. But we won't separate it out. We're still playing footsie with the Iranians on the nuclear deal, even in the aftermath of the protests, even in the aftermath of all the nice words we've said about the protesters. We're still trying to get a nuclear deal done, which seems to me crazy. Shouldn't we just dump the nuclear deal overboard and say we're done with it? We're not. We're not negotiating with Iran anymore until they put in place a regime that is capable and competent and doesn't want to cause friction in the region, attack its own people, you know, attack the Kurds and um, and, uh, and, and 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 create a nuclear weapon. This this regime, this 1979 regime uh, in all its forms that it's taken is not a negotiating party that we can work with. Isn't the messaging, hasn't the Biden administration said they're stepping away from negotiations? Like they have taken a, a pause. I, you don't, I mean, is, is that true? Not true? I mean, that's what they're telling us. A, a pause is not enough. They ought to say they're not going to negotiate with this government. President Raisi is a mass murderer from decades ago. Under the current crackdown on protests, 58 children have been killed, according to a human rights report. Hundreds of Iranians have been killed. There are now uh, military activities in Kurdish cities in Iran. They're, they're starting to go wholesale in their attacks on people who are protesting. It is a terrible situation. This is as brutal a government as Iran has ever had. They're vicious thugs. We should not be negotiating with them on anything. And I think this is the perfect opportunity for the Biden administration to completely disassociate itself from the nuclear negotiations. Right. So, so I, don't, I don't disagree with you, but we know they're not. We, we're, they're not likely to do that. They haven't, at least thus far in the protests, shown the willingness to go as far as they need to go. They've gone further than prior administrations, but not as far as they need to go. You're a big fan of Congress always getting involved. And you always think Congress can do a lot more than I think they can. What can Congress do to solve this problem? Well, Congress could could defund Rob O'Malley and the negotiating team, which, which <laughs> let's face it, would be a little bit symbolic. Wow. Okay. Uh, but let's let's take a stand. The the Democratic leadership in the Senate, Senator Schumer and Senator Menendez, who's the chair of the Foreign Relations Committee and is going to be next year, are both very skeptical of the Iran nuclear negotiations. They voted against the deal back in 2015 when we They're, made them vote on it. When when that's correct, when we made them vote on what? Let's see how how powerful Congress can be, Jamil, when they're really motivated. Let's like have watch how powerful staff. I can be yeah. when I'm on when they, there. When they have smart staff who are willing to take some risks, uh, but no, but but the Senate can send a message. The Senate is still controlled by Democrats. Let's see bipartisan action to send a message to the administration. No more. Are they going to do it at a time when their president managed to 
arguably salvage what looks like a terrible uh, outcome for Democrats in the House, the Senate, whether it's because, you know, Donald Trump pulled the Republicans down or there are terrible candidates like Herschel Walker and all these other folks. I mean, the president is getting some credit for it. Are they really going to stab in the back on one of his key foreign, pro- foreign policy priorities? Democrats in the Senate having barely held on to the Senate? Seems unlikely, Less Jamil, it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. And with that, that's a wrap. Thanks to Gabriel Otis from NSI and Claude Jennings for their help producing today's episode. Join us again on Wednesday. And remember, folks, we're taking Friday off to celebrate the holidays. Thanks for tuning in to Fault Lines, our podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security debates shaking up America. 